everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 158. As always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, or yes, even during a pandemic, what better way to end your day with a nice, ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue? But we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly, and it is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. With that said, let's bring in our guest, no stranger to the show, and that is Ryan Martin, Assistant General Manager of the Red Wings, and also the head man, the General Manager of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Always look forward to you being on the Red and White Authority. Thanks for having me, Art. How was everybody doing over there? Well, we're doing well, you know. I mean, it it, it has been a strange time, and I, I guess let's go there, although it almost seems to be a cliche now. How has COVID-19 impacted you and what you do? Well, uh, first of all, uh, everybody in my family is healthy. Um, yeah, which is the most important thing. Um, but I think, you know, we're almost a year into, into the remote working environment. And I, I think, interestingly, it's, you know, I, I think it's shown us as an organization that there's more efficient ways to do certain things. We've done a lot of video scouting. We've done a lot of our uh, scout meetings, our organizational meetings via Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And, and I think we've learned a lot through that process. So it's, it's been interesting. You know, I've cut, out, <laughs> I've cut out about a 90 minute commute, 45 minutes each way and <laughs> found myself to be more efficient working from home. Um, so it's, uh, there's been, there's been some positives to it for sure. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly nice that there's enough hockey being played around here, uh, in the Michigan area live where we get to go out and see games. And of course the, the world junior, um, what was played as well. So it's nice to get back out into the rinks and, I, and I'm pretty excited about the American league starting up as well. Well, you know, I, I, I will get into all of that, but since you mentioned the world junior, uh, championship, uh, uh, the 2021, uh, 2021 uh, World J Junior Championship, which was won by Team USA, their their fifth title. Um, and, and I look at this, I, I mean, they lost their first game to Russia, 5-3, uh, to three, and then they ended up just like cruising. I don't know, it's sure tougher than that, but you were a, a volunteer um, uh, administrator, I guess is the best way to put it, put this team together. But when I look at the guys on this team, and I'm not going to name all of them, but Spencer Knight, who was absolutely fabulous, had four shutouts. Uh, they outscored their opponents 36 to 10. They had a goal differential of plus 26. The gold medal game on January 5th is in the bubble in Edmonton. They beat Team Canada uh, two to nothing. Uh, but you look at it, Trevor Zegras, uh, Matthew Boldy, uh, uh, Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcott. To me, this was, I guess, the, the swan song, the final time for that great 2019 draft class where the Amer was heavy American influence that these kids really played well and they really, really performed um, up to their, uh, you know, tried to, I, I guess the best way I can put it, Ryan, and I know I'm rambling a bit here, is that maybe they've had a bitter taste about the World Junior Championship before, so they wanted to uh, get that taste out of their mouth. Well, you've said, yeah, you've said a lot there and, and a lot that I agree with. And, you know, first off, uh, the, the, you know, the 2019 draft class, that 01 birth year in the United States is, is a really special group. And I guess first and foremost, uh, you know, yes, that, that group was a really important part of this team. But I think 
you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out, I think the reason we won this tournament is because of some of the, maybe the lesser heralded players in that age group. I mean, we were built uh, a certain way. Part of the reason we were built that way was because of the lack of success we had had the year before. And certainly, um, you know, Trevor Zegris and Cole Caulfield, Spencer Knight, like that old one group was, was instrumental in the success that we had at the tournament. But um, you know, there, there was also a lot of lesser known uh, players in that birth year and, and some of the younger players, too, in, in the 02 birth year that I think played played really um, played really important roles for that team. So this it was a really exciting tournament. This was the ninth tournament that that I've been involved in uh, on the player personnel side. Uh, Jimmy Johansson, the late Jimmy Johansson, was uh, nice enough to. Uh, allow me an opportunity to volunteer for USA Hockey and be part of the management group that put the team together back in 2013. That was the first uh, world junior that, that I worked. That was uh, John Gibson uh, was our goalie. We, right. we won gold over in UFA. That, so that was my, my first world junior. Um, you know, this they're all special, but this one was, was extra special just because of the environment to win in Canada, to beat Canada for gold is always special and to do it in in a bubble environment 32 days in a bubble um counting the time we we spent in plymouth in our camp it was uh it was a really surreal experience and and one which which i'll never forget well yeah i'm kind of curious i mean uh, you have been bringing up a team usa success to chris draper often i hope <laughs> well, he, he flies the american flag at, at select times he is a dual citizen you know <laughs> I I just uh, it's like I, I always love getting down I drape about that but yeah well yeah the, well that's good you know I mean Steve's a dual citizen uh, I I know that and uh, you know although he's had a great success with uh, with Team Canada when he was running it especially during the Olympic years but the reason I ask is that that was the beginning of hockey for me was the World Junior Championship I know that uh, you know the Red Wings had several prospects seven in total although. Um, uh, Jan Bednash or Bednar, I, I I believe it's pronounced Bednash, the Czech goalie. Um, he was the third goalie, so he didn't see any action. And then Gustav Berglund uh, for Team Sweden, um, he only appeared in one game, but got an assist and was a plus one. But uh, I mean, Emil Vero played very very well for Finland, and then Niederbach, Theodore Niederbach, Lucas Raymond, Elmer Soderblom, who you know might be the uh, a steal at as a six round draft pick, and then Albert Johansson, all for Team Sweden, uh, played very, very, very well. So I would say, from a Red Wing prospect perspective in this tournament, you had to be pretty pleased with what you saw over there. Yeah, re really pleased, Art, and um, you know, just first of all, the chance to watch them play live. Uh, w was great, you know, because all of us as a staff have been following their progress and their development, uh, but mostly doing it virtually. Some of the European scouts, uh, some of the European leagues are open to scouts or have been sporadically. Uh, but for myself, this was the first time that I'd seen many of these players play live in, in over a year. And in some cases, I, I have never seen um, Emil Viro play. Uh, at all. So, um, but to your point, you know, the, the Swedish team I thought was one of the best teams there. You know, I think unfortunately they were hurt 
a bit by going into uh, a quarantine right upon arrival and having to come out of that and go right into their game competition. They lost their head coach uh, to a COVID issue, and so they had a substitute coach. So I think, for unfortunately for them, for a variety of reasons, they didn't fare as well as a team in the tournament, but individually, uh, I, I was very impressed with with those four players. You know, Gustav unfortunately only played in one game, but you know, Elmer, um, you know, Elmer and Gustav, for that matter, uh, attended the the Red Wings training camp a year ago and played in the prospect tournament, which is very unusual for a European player to be released to come over because typically in September, when the prospect tournament is held, those European teams are already into their season and it doesn't really make a lot of sense to to um, you know to pull a player over to, to play and then send him back and have him get out of his rhythm over there but but both Swedish teams thought it would be a benefit to the player to come over participate in an NHL camp and so to see the progress uh, especially that Elmer has made since the prospect tournament until now was really really uh, nice to see him because he had a really good tournament. He's a big man. He's hard to handle around the net, Uh, you know, scored a couple of goals. You know, I know our coaches in coaching against him uh, were concerned about him hanging around the front of the net just because he's such a big guy and he's, he's hard to handle. Um, You know, Albert Johansson, he's a guy that we signed to a contract a year ago. He's playing this year back in, in Faryastad, and, and you know, our hope will be that he'll be coming to North America next year. One of the reasons we signed him a year ago is to, um, uh, to um, fulfill the obligation under the IIHF transfer agreement to loan him back to Europe because of his age and where he was drafted. We're obligated for one season to do that. So uh, now we have the ability, if we'd like, to put him uh, into the American League if he doesn't make Detroit next year, or we can send him back to Europe if that's best for his development. But I thought he had a good tournament. I thought he ran out of gas a little bit towards the end, as many of these players did. And again, to come out of that um, that isolation situation in your hotel room for that long before you're playing and then go right into games was, was tough. Um, and then for our two 2020 uh, draft picks, Niederbach and, and Raymond, you know, especially Raymond, I thought w- was really good. I thought he was one of their driving forces offensively. He competed. He played a, a real complete game. Uh, you know, I thought he was one of their better players. And, and Niederbach is someone that I had never seen play live. I'd watched a couple games on video uh, after we had drafted him, uh, and, and I thought he fared quite well. Uh, you know, he's he's a he's a creative mm-hmm. guy. He's got real good hockey sense. He's neat needs to get stronger and, and quicker. Uh, you know, as a lot of these young players do. But um, you know, for um, for what the expectations were coming in, uh, you know, I, I think he played pretty well, and he's having a really good year over there, uh, splitting time between the elite league and and the lower league, and where he's one of the leading scorers. So. For all those players on Sweden uh, and for, for Viro um, on, on Finland, who I thought played real well, um, you know, real competitive defensive defenseman, can really skate, um, you know, ended up chipping in a couple points uh, and played pretty well offensively towards the end of the tournament. But, you know, I think someone who's going to make his, uh, his mark as a defender, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a real nice surprise to me because I didn't know much about him. Well, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious. I know this is, uh, you know, you're in a bubble. You're in Edmonton. Uh, uh, you know, your assistant general manager uh, of the Red Wings, the G- GM of, of the Griffins, as we've said. 
do you get any kind of opportunity just to even say hello to these guys or introduce yourself? Or was everything, you know, Team Sweden's here, Team USA is here, and never the twain shall meet unless they're on the ice? Yeah, well, the, the two, there's two hotels set up in the bubble. Five of the teams and half the media were at one hotel and five of the teams and the other half of the media were, were at another hotel. And, um, you know, unless you knew somebody, um, you know, by sight and you would run into them in the hallways uh, going to the meal room in the hotel or by the locker room, uh, it, it really, there really wasn't an opportunity to, to meet with them obviously because of the COVID protocols as well. Uh, and, and so for the Swedish players, uh, you know, I had met uh, Gustav and Elmer at, at training camp and, and Albert Johansson at our, uh, to, at our prospect camp, but I, I'm not sure they would remember me by sight. Uh, and I'm not sure I could pick them out by sight. If I didn't, well, Elmer, I probably could because he's so, so tall. Um, but I did have the chance to meet Jan Bednar actually during our COVID testing lines they've got us lined up like cattle running in through the front of uh of the arena there in edmonton and and the czech team was getting tested at the same time we were and i looked over and he had his name tag on and so i so i introduced myself to him we had a we had a nice conversation just standing in line waiting to uh to get our covid test well that well i th th that's good because i i guess my next question i'm going to try to have this instead of jumping all around like i have a habit of doing um, I, I'm, I guess I'm at a point now where we're looking at prospects and uh, the Red Wings are doing well. I want to go back to the last summer showcase. And I remember going to the summer showcase when it was held at USA Arena. Uh, and, and that's uh, essentially four teams, Team USA, Team Canada, uh, Team Finland, and, uh, and Team Sweden. It's kind of a precursor where uh, like an early camp to, to, for their junior world junior teams. And uh, the Americans bring a lot of players. Team Canada, I think they both have almost two teams. And then Sweden brings in a team. And as I said, Finland. I remember the last time it was at uh, in Plymouth, Michigan, that the two players that were the talk of the camp, why everybody was there, or of the tournament, I should say, was Lucas Raymond and, uh, and Lafreniere. And, and I think Raymond was kind of hurt. He, he played, but he didn't play. So I guess what I'm say, trying to say is, and maybe softening the blow to Red Wing fans who still can't get over the, uh, the draft lottery and the Rangers getting the number one pick, is that if you had to have a number four pick, <laughs> Lucas Raymond isn't a bad consolation prize. Right. And, and you know, I think, um, that, you know, to me, this the World Junior, uh, in some respects, is uh, – a 19-year-old tournament, and you know, to come in there as a, as an O2, as a, as an 18-year-old just being drafted, and to play the way that he did, uh, Lucas Raymond, that is, you know, I, I think uh, he's got a really bright future. I'm very excited. I know that. I thought he played very well. Um, again, he was one of their driving players offensively. Competed every game, and and again. Um, you know, not to, to make excuses for that team because I'm sure they wouldn't make them for themselves. But to, to land in Edmonton and go right into a, a quarantine period because you had some positive tests on your team and then to come out, I think they had one practice before they played their right. first game. And so 
uh, and they didn't have their coach. So, uh, you know, I, I, all things considered, I thought he had a really good tournament, really good. Yeah, I mean, he he, he really does look like a, a special player. I'm eager. I, I, I When the Red Wings drafted him, um, I, I, I was fortunate enough to talk to him that night. He's in Sweden. I don't know what time in the morning it is. It's very early in the morning. It was like 9 o'clock our time or something. And uh, I asked him, well, when do you expect to be a Red Wing? Uh, and you know, and I love this. He says fall of 2021, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I hope that happens. So, I mean, I like the guys that have, uh, you know, are confident and are really looking at the big picture. So, uh, uh, you know, good draft pick there. I, I want to talk to you about COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on junior hockey, the minor leagues, college hockey, uh, certain universities have shut down. I know the big 10 is playing, uh, I can't keep straight who's playing and who isn't playing. How difficult is it for you and Chris Draper, who does handle the amateur draft? How does this impact the draft where some guys play and some guys don't? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up that you can't handle who's or manage who's playing and who's not playing because it's it's tough for all of us. And, if you know, we've got a, a program called RinkNet that keeps track of uh, every league schedule and it's interesting you'll go on and uh, you know for instance just you look at hockey east and you know team one will be you know t- Merrimack will be playing Providence it'll say game postponed and then right underneath it, it'll say Providence playing UNH and it's seven o'clock so what you know they're, they're they're adjusting on the fly so good for them uh, you know because I think we're all trying to navigate through this landscape and, and do it as successfully as possible. And teams have taken different approaches. You know, obviously the Western Hockey League is shut down right now. The Ontario Hockey League is shut down right now. Quebec um, ha- has come up and played intermittently. You know, certain teams are playing now. Certain teams are, are on a pause until uh, early March. Other teams are going into a I guess a bubble environment, for lack of a better term. Um, I know the OHL. I, I've heard rumors anyway that the OHL is contemplating doing something with bubble cities. Um, you know, the USHL seemed to. You know, they had a, a delay in their start, but you know they kind of have been forging ahead and they've shut down and had two week pauses here and there when there's been a number of positive cases come up, but they've sort of been able to, to grind it out as has the, the USA NTDP. So to your point, uh, you know, whether it's in Europe or, or North America, the schedule's constantly changing. Uh, you know, the amateur scouts, I think have done a phenomenal job of trying to manage the situation and at the same time supplementing, um, you know, live viewings that they're able to do, and there's not many, but supplementing those with a lot of video work. We've got a great video scouting uh, system set up. And, uh, you know, so for instance, a, a U.S. amateur scout who may be able to go to a game live in Des Moines, Iowa on a Friday, but, you know, also knows that there's four other games that, that he's going to be responsible for that are also being played you know, he hits the live game and then he's also during the week following up and and doing video scouting on the other ones just because there's going to be so few games this year. So, uh, you know, how does that impact the draft, Uh, you know, to be determined? I'm not sure, and I'm not speaking on any level of authority, I'm not sure that there is going to be uh, a draft this June. You know, I think that's up to the NHL and the the PA to figure out, uh, you know, how how uh, that's going to play out because, you know, there's a number of players that, that aren't playing now that 
are going to be draft eligible. Do they do they have a draft this year? Do they wait till next year and do two drafts? It, it's all, it all remains to be seen. Right. Yeah, I know. I know that the the, the draft because the season's going to run later this year, obviously because it started later. Was is originally, I guess, still the dates July twenty third for round one, and then July twenty uh, fourth for rounds two through seven. However, I've heard that maybe they might switch it to December of uh, 2021 or even maybe January of 2022 to so you guys can look at a body of work of these players that don't have to play. But as you said, that's to be determined. We're just going to, like everything, we're just going to have to see how it plays out. But I did want to ask you if there are players that, that are draft picks right now uh, and they're not playing, that their leagues have shut down. You know, I know the Swedish Hockey League is, is still playing, but everything else is shut down. Um, are you in contact with them? Can you give them something to do or what options do they have except trying to remain in shape and skate because there's no games for them to play? Are you talking about our draft picks yeah, that we yeah, own? Pretty much, or, yeah. Yeah, pretty oh, much yeah. your draft picks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, yeah. our our play, yeah, our player development group is uh, is extremely busy still. Um, and, and you know, many of these players, even if they're not playing games, um, their teams have assembled. They're practicing regularly. Um, so there, there's actually a lot of work that's being done. Um, that's fairly regular and consistent and in the normal course of, of dealing, but just with the exception of maybe some games not being played just because they're on a pause. So there's really been uh, very little interruption. Um, you know, a couple of our Western League players have transferred down to the USHL. Right, uh, Chris that. Draper's son actually transferred down to the USHL from the BC Junior League because they were in a bit of a, um, a, a pause or a shutdown. I don't know if they officially shut down or just paused. Um, you know, some of our college players that have, have gone into a pause, like the players at, at BU, um, you know, we're, we're just, we're optimistic. We're hopeful that in the end, they're going to end up getting, um, you know, not a full season of games, but at least enough to make it meaningful. But in the, in the interim, you know, their teams have still assembled. They're practicing their training off the ice and, and just like they normally would. All right. Well, that you know that 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 is definitely good to hear. I, I'm pretty sure knowing knowing you, knowing how the Red Wings work from top to bottom, beginning with Steven all the way down and Horkoff and his staff and uh, uh, everybody else, I I knew that you would have a plan. I just wasn't quite sure exactly what the uh, uh, how it was playing out. Uh, but uh, you know, certainly uh, it, it seems like everything is. Uh, is at least it, it, you're making the best out of the circumstances, which uh, which comes as no surprise. With all that said, I guess I was a little bit surprised based on what the uh, American Hockey League, the AHL business model is, where they really want fans in the stands, which uh, uh, is a huge revenue source for them. Yet the Griffins started playing uh, on, uh, on, on uh, February 5th at Chicago. They're going to be playing on the 11th at Chicago and then Cleveland. So the HL season has begun. I'm not going to ask you, and you're the general manager of the Griffins, um, are you a bit surprised that it got off the ground? And how important is it for the Griffins to be playing games, not only for the uh, for the Griffins and those individual players, but for the Red Wing organization? Well, um, yeah, I, am I surprised we're playing? Um, that's a that's a great question. I guess I, I went back and forth. At times, I was optimistic it was going to happen. Other times, I was less 
optimistic that um, as, you know, as many teams would elect to play that did. Um, we really only had three organizations that, that opted out, and those organizations uh, quickly partnered with somebody else to split an affiliation. That, to me, was I thought we would lose more than that in the process. Right. So I, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Um, I, I mean, I'm extremely happy that both uh, um, you know, Chris Illich um, and the Grand Rapids Griffins uh, you know, decided that it was important for our players to play. And, and you know, we had to dedicate the necessary resources to, to make this season happen, even if it was going to be a partial season. So I, I think it's incredibly important that these players play for the development of our prospects down there. Yes, the taxi squad certainly allows for, um, a, you know, a, a different dynamic than what we typically have in terms of developing players and, and their presence uh, in an NHL practice or in the NHL city to work with different coaches, but there's still other players down in the American League uh, that are important that, that we need to focus on their development as well. And, and so I, I think um, it was really important that we play and, and, and uh, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to be able to, to get through this season. We're only playing 30 games. Uh, the teams in in the American League are playing anywhere between 24 and 40 games. We're, our division is playing 30, uh, which is a little less than half a season. Typically, the full season is 76 games, um, but we're managing it really well. We're just playing Cleveland, Chicago, Rockford, Illinois, and Iowa, so we, re- we only have two hotel nights. Every other uh, trip is a day of game travel and, and back, so um, we're taking two buses, so for you know two locker rooms. So for COVID and safety reasons, we're able to follow some protocols that will hopefully allow us to navigate this season successfully and and allow our players to continue to develop. Well, I've always said this, and I know unfortunately fans can't go, but uh, and I know you've been there obviously many many times. I've actually seen you at Van Andel Arena. Uh, I can't wait till fans are able to go back because the environment, and in Toledo too for the Walleye, I should say that, although they've canceled their season uh, in the ECHL, but uh, the environment there that is created uh, within the organization and then their fan bases are very loyal. It's a great environment to see uh, future Red Wings play. So I think it's it's great that, that the Griffins are playing. Uh, with that said, Ryan, I, I, I want to then get into the taxi squad too now, which I find fascinating. And first and foremost, and I don't know if you can tell me this, or I, I know that the taxi squad for the Red Wings can be four to six players. The minimum of four, no more than six. Does that mean that you have to have at least four players on your taxi squad the whole time, no matter what? There always has to be four guys. Uh, yes, basically. I, I wouldn't say no matter what. There's certainly some extenuating circumstances if you're, if you're recalling a player and perhaps he's subject to a, a quarantine requirement. You can elect a non-roster designation for that player and, and maybe fall below or, um, you know, depending on what you have on your, your active roster, you're always supposed to have 18 skaters and two healthy goalies on your active roster and and if you fall below that mark you may have to supplement your active roster with the taxi squad players to get to that so yes as a general rule uh you're required to have um at least four and no more than six 
And, and that's certainly one of the reasons if you watch the daily transactions as uh, most teams are moving players back and forth between the taxi squad and the NHL roster regularly. It's not, in, in many cases, it's not necessarily a reflection that that player is no longer um, you know, going to be on the active roster and the coach is tired of him and doesn't want him in the next game. It's more a reflection of managing the taxi squad, the salary cap, and, and the number of, of healthy players you've got on the active roster. So um, I, I think that's important for fans to realize. Well, yeah, I mean, the reason I am asking, because I get this question asked all the time, and I and and, and that's why all I'm so glad that you, that you know you're on today's uh, on today's Red and White Authority is because people, you know, I'll get fans saying, well, this is a money move, right? Because if they're if if they're you know some guys don't have to clear waivers, but if you put a guy that needs to clear waivers on the taxi squad, you could lose him. Uh, but uh, th- and that doesn't happen very often, I would imagine, uh, the way it's played out thus far. But what I'm curious about, it's not really to save money. I would imagine that if you put a guy down uh, on the squad, he gets his, uh, if it's a two-way contract, whatever his AHL salary is, then when he's back up, he gets whatever his NHL salary is. I see this as more being kind of a roster kind of thing. And this is where, and I know that I'm talking, I'm confusing myself as I'm speaking right now. So hopefully you can uh, follow me on this, Ryan. But I would see like in, what 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 it allows you to do also is to keep a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi who's hurt instead of putting him on a, a injured reserve, you can keep him on your roster and just let you know until he comes back and you can massage the you know the the taxi squad that way. Hopefully that makes sense if you you see what I'm thinking or am I thinking way too much about this? No, you're you're correct. Uh, T- Tyler actually is on injured reserve now, but initially he wasn't. Uh, Bernier was not as well because right, I know he is. You, you, because you you don't want to commit to having a player out for seven days if you if it's going to be a four or five day injury. So. Uh, you're right in that sense that you know the way you manage the the roster in that regard is by maybe putting some people down on the taxi squad to to get some uh, relief in terms of the 23 man roster situation. Really, the taxi squad should be viewed as an extension of the minor league team. And to your point earlier, um, there's actually been quite a few players claimed off waivers this year for that very reason. Okay. Okay. And and you. Um, you know, you need that day of, of putting a player on waivers before he clears, before you can send him down. So there's a lot of moving pieces um, that might dictate the timing of sending a particular player down to the taxi squad or recalling a particular player. Um, you know, part of it's positional as well. You go on a six-game road trip like we're on right now. I think it's been 12, it will be 12 days. You've got to make sure you've got enough goalies uh, to account for uh, potential injuries to you know D forwards as well because um, under the protocol you're not allowed to travel commercially. So if we're in Florida and we lose another goalie, we've got to either charter a plane or somehow figure out how to get a goalie there without going outside the terms of the protocol. That's why we've got two goalies on the taxi squad at this particular time. So wow. l- lots of moving pieces from the length of the road trip, the health of the players, who needs waivers? Uh, there is some cap management involved, uh, to your point, uh, you know, in terms of an NHL salary versus a minor league. So, but there's there's many factors that come into play in in us making determinations uh, on who's going into the taxi squad and who will be in the American League and who's on the NHL roster. And it's 
Um, it, it's got more to do with the, you know, the coach's next game and who's in the lineup than, than, uh, than some other issues. If the Red Wings, you know, and, and hope this happens, if they stay relatively healthy and your taxi squad, there isn't much movement, meaning guys don't move off the taxi squad onto the active Red Wing roster, could you have a revolving door policy between Grand Rapids and the taxi squad because the taxi squad guys, even though they're practicing with the Red Wings and you know doing everything a Red Wing does except playing, that you would want them to get into some games. So you would bring some guys up from Grand Rapids and have some guys on the taxi squad go down and play for the Griffins. No, for sure. And it, you know, for, in certain players' situations, it, it, it may not do them uh, a lot of good in their development to be sitting on the taxi squad and and not playing and you know we're fortunate like many american league teams uh, we're fortunate to be located in the same state as the nhl parent club and um as long as the the medical staff is comfortable with the testing protocol that's that's going on at the american league level and there's certain um requirements of that protocol as it relates to the nhl one then you can recall a player uh, and I say seamlessly, you can integrate him into the NHL environment. Uh, and so many uh, American League teams are following the same or similar or sufficient testing protocols at the American League level for that very reason. So, uh, and to make it clear, even though economics are part of the taxi squad, it sounds to me that at the end of the day, that's really not the determining factor is that we want this guy to make his minor league salary for a day uh, and, and you know, to save money. It, it doesn't seem like, as I said, that this is really a hardcore economic decision about the taxi squad because I know there's a prevalent feeling among many, many fans that that's exactly what this is. No, and, and you know, if you look at the taxi squad that, that we had uh, a week ago, for instance, when Grand Rapids was in its training camp, we wanted as many players in uh in the training camp as possible um but in order to meet the minimum requirement minimum requirement of having four on the taxi squad i think we had to drop down to about 20 on our active roster so again um you know we're 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 required under the rules to have 18 and again it's 18 healthy skaters so then you get an injury to a player and if you don't have the requisite number of of healthy skaters on your active roster, you got to pull a guy off the taxi squad, and and vice versa. So um, cap management is one facet of it, but it's certainly not the uh, the driving force behind it. And there's so many other factors that go in go into these decisions. Right. You know, I I think it's I think it's fascinating. I know that the uh, uh, NFL teams do have a taxi squad, uh, but I would imagine for the NHL, this is like a one and done. Uh, I would imagine that the taxi squad is not here to stay. I, I yeah, I don't anticipate that it's it's going to be. I, I think there's a lot of positives to it. You know, uh, for a guy like Taro Hirose or Giovanni Smith, um, for the days that he is on the taxi squad, to be able to practice with the NHL club, uh, you know, I think there's a lot that goes to to that player's development to be able to be in that practice environment. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, 
to, to take Terrell, for instance, who hasn't played in the last few games, you know, he, he's going to be better served to get into an American League game and to play more in the American right. League if, if he's not going to be used by Coach Blaschel. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's positives and negatives. It can, it can cut both ways. You know, you want the players to play and, and develop, and there's benefits to being in the NHL city and around the NHL coaches and the player development people if you're on the taxi squad, but there's also some benefits to being in the American League and, and playing games. Uh, I Thank you for clearing that up about the taxi squad, Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, but if I've confused you at all, be prepared to get confused even more because now I want to talk about COVID-19 protocol. Um, and <laughs> again, uh, it, it appears that the NHL is obviously, as we all are, Let's first of all, this is not a criticism or a knock on anyone because we're all dealing with the situation. Our lives change on a daily basis, and sometimes it's completely unpredictable. You just have to adjust to the circumstances you find yourself under. So I completely understand what's what's going on that way. But let me give you a, a scenario, Ryan, and then maybe you can explain it to me. Um, Carolina had a COVID outbreak, and they had five players on the COVID list. The Red Wings had a couple players test positive, and just before they were going to leave for Chicago, they had three more positive tests, which gave them five, five regulars, by the way. I mean, five real heavy-hitting players uh, on this Red Wing roster. Uh, and so there was a natural feeling among fans, again, now it's saying, well, okay, they hit the magic number of five, just like Carolina. Uh, the Red Wings aren't going to go to Chicago. They're not going to play. Their season's going to be on pause. That didn't happen. Yet, it seems now where we're at, again, because the NHL keeps going, and I hate this expression, not making it up as they go along, but dealing with situations almost on an individual basis. I have it. Five teams right now are on pause. The Flyers, the Devils, the Sabres, the Avalanche, and the Wild, and Vegas might go back. The Golden Knights might go back again. Uh, I guess the easy question or what I'm trying to get to, Ryan, is the Red Wings continue to play. Other teams did not. Do we know Because do we know why that happened? You, is there a, a logical explanation for that? Well, I can tell you why we continued to play, and I, I don't know that I can necessarily answer why the other teams in each individual case um, have elected to not play. And when I say elected, like this, this is a collaborative, uh, collective decision based on a, a lot of factors. Number one would be the, the medical team that is advising the NHL, uh, the league itself, uh, the medical team that's advising the players association, the medical team that is employed by uh, each individual club, um, it, and it's basically to your point. It, it's it's so driven by the individual facts and circumstances. And when we went into Chicago, um, we were we after those players were uh, put into the COVID protocol, uh, we were tested multiple times uh, and even multiple times a, a day prior to playing that first game there and tested negative and and I think part of it had to do with the fact also that we were were going on the road if at any point our medical team or any of those other um, cons those parties that I spoke of earlier felt that it was unsafe uh, or unhealthy for us to play 
we could have initiated the necessary uh, steps to, to, to go into a pause for lack of a better term, but we tested negatively, uh, negatively consistently. Our, our medical team felt that our facility was safe. Um, and again, we were going out on the road, so I, I don't know how much of a factor that had to, to do with it. So, um, you know, I don't know that I've answered your question great other than it's based on the facts and circumstances of each team. Um, you know, the taxi squad is designed to do exactly what we utilized it for, to backfill the NHL roster. And we still had enough players um, to fill uh, the requisite number of taxi squad positions to, to be in. And in some of those other cases with those other teams, perhaps that wasn't possible. Um, and again, depending on where their minor league team is located like it, it, you know, there's one NHL team whose minor league affiliate is is in a you know five states away uh, they may have different quarantine requirements uh, than we do to get players in to, to, to fill up their taxi squad so um, you know variety of, of situations on who's testing positive whether it's players whether it's staff um, what's the extent of those positive tests um, do they continue or in our case, there was an end to it in two days. There was, uh, we had our positives and that was it. And then we had three days of negative testing as we went out on that, that trip. And again, multiple times, um, a day for that game in Chicago. So, um, you know, I, I believe we made the, the right decision to, to play those games. Now, if it happened again, I, I don't know that the decision would be the same because it's all dependent on the, the facts and circumstances at the time. So to, to make it short, because again, and and I again, Ryan, and I just think a lot of this has to do with fans still smarting about the uh, uh, about the NHL draft lottery. But this is not the league picking on the Red Wings or ganging up on the Red Wings, saying, "Yeah, we're pausing some teams, but you guys still play." Yeah, absolutely. No, it's not that. Um, you know, the league, uh, the the league actually is very deferential to the medical teams that are working for. Uh, each individual club because they're the ones that are on the ground that really know what's going on. And I think they defer to their judgment uh, a, a lot. And, and we felt as a group that, you know, because we had tested negative success uh, um, for successive days that, that we could, um, that, that we could carry on and play. Uh, what, how do you think it's gone thus far uh, in this season. Again, as as I said, at least five teams are on pause. Vegas might go there. But overall, I would say it's it's not going to be as great as it was in a bubble in Toronto and Edmonton for the playoffs. That's not going to happen. But that's really I, you can't ask men to, you know, to, to live in a bubble for six months at a time or whatever. Uh, you know, then you're then you're you're almost in a science fiction movie at that point. Uh, I, I, I would think, though, I, I would assume that things are going relatively okay as far as this NHL season, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think that's an accurate statement. And, and you know, you and I were talking off air and you said they're, they're making it up as they go along. And, and I kind of laughed and agreed with you. And I think to a certain extent they are because the circumstances are changing, uh, you know, if not by the day, by the hour. So, uh, I guess a credit to them, they're doing the best they can, um, you know, and as these circumstances change and as medical information changes and, and uh, opinions on, on different protocols, health and safety protocols, 
um, they get implemented as quickly uh, as possible. Like for instance, the glass coming out behind the benches has been the latest one. Um, you know, uh, they, they've recommended a certain time frame to, for players to report to the, to the arena so they're not there for an extended period of time. Um, so there's a variety of things that I think on the fly they're, they're trying to work through. I think they're doing the best they can. Um, you know, there's talk about uh, rapid testing on day of game, which I, I don't follow basketball enough to know. I, I believe that's what the NBA does. Um, so they know going into the game that nobody playing in that game has tested positive within, within the last few hours. So I think there's, there's some talk about that because right now, you know, the testing protocol in the NHL, you might not get those results back till, till the next day. Now they're testing every day, but there may be a lag time between right. when you're able to pick up uh, a positive test. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going as well as can be expected. I mean, the, I call them lifestyle protocols. There's a number of lifestyle protocols in the NHL manual that, um, you know, are recommendations uh, for how players and staff, certain staff, if they're in the in the environment are, are supposed to live away from the rink in terms of who they can come in contact with eating at restaurants and, and th- other prohibitions like that so uh, you know I think it's it's pretty restrictive I think they're doing the best they can and, and I'm I'm sure the players are trying to adhere to, to the best of their abilities because I think we're all uh, of the same we all have the same objective here we all want this season to be successful yeah and I you know I, I hope and pray that you know obviously that uh you know the Red Wings will uh, will play all fifty six games. And speaking of the Red Wings, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, <laughs> about the main club here. Uh, you know, thus far we're 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 doing this on the uh, uh, on the tenth of February. The Red Wings uh, lost last night on the 9th to Florida, two to one. Uh, they've lost five one goal games this season. Uh, uh, the record is three nine and two. Yet without if if they didn't have five regulars on the COVID list. Uh, I, I would say this, Ryan, and I'm just not saying it because you're on. The Red Wings are, I think, a significantly better team than they were last year. I think the additions have really, really helped. But, you know, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, what is your assessment thus far of the club? I, I'd agree with those two statements. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, it, it is what it is. And, and we have only won one of our last 10 games. But, I, I think in general this year, some of the positives to take away, uh, the defense has improved. I think the acquisitions of, of Stetcher uh, and Stahl and John Merrill, um, even Christian Juice, who we claimed off of waivers, mm-hmm. uh, obviously Thomas Grice uh, in net has given us um, uh, a better goaltending tandem this year, despite the fact that it hasn't maybe necessarily shown up in in the win column, but you know, defensively, we're a better hockey team. Um, you know, offensively as well. You know, I, I think uh, you know Robbie Fabry took a, a step with us last year. You know, adding Bobby Ryan uh, was a really good addition. Uh, Vlad Nemestikov giving us another guy that can play uh, center and wing. You know, Tyler Bertuzzi, Anthony Mantha have each taken steps in, in their development. So um, you know. To your point, yes, I agree. We are uh, a better team than we were a year ago. We're more competitive. I think you know we saw that early on in our home stand. I think we played some pretty good games uh, against Columbus and, and Carolina, or at least at times. Um, you know, and then lately, uh, you know, the last couple 
uh, have been good. I thought we played well last night in Florida, but you know, just came out on the the wrong end of 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 the score sheet. So there are some positives to build off of. You see a young player too, like Giovanni Smith, getting into the lineup, becoming a regular. Uh, you know, you hope that uh, Michael Rasmussen is is going to get an opportunity at some point this year when he earns it to to come up and play some games uh, and see what he can do. Dennis Chalowski, we've got down in the American League as well. You know, hopefully he gets an opportunity to come up as well as Gus Lindstrom, who who uh, finished the year last year in uh, in Detroit. So, in, you know, integrating some of these younger players into the lineup uh, will also help us uh, as as we work through this season. And and I think there's definitely some positives to build off of. When when you look at at the club, and I guess what I'm curious about, do you like this uh, uh, this baseball schedule that they're playing, having these two game series? Uh, and and playing just within your division. I think we all understand why it, they have to play within their own division, cut down travel, geography, obviously because of COVID. But um, is do you like seeing, you know, the Red Wings are, are not going to be in Nashville for two games and then come home for a six-game homestand, for lack of a better term? Well, I can't speak on behalf of, of ticket sales uh, executives, because and I don't know enough about that part of the business to to have a feel for whether it's an easy format to sell. When I first heard about it, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't in favor of it. I think it's great, though. I, you know, having experienced it firsthand, to me, there's almost like a playoff flavor right, to it. Right. Um, you know, when you've got a when you've got a game plan against the same team back to back, it's hard to beat the same team twice. And I think for teams uh, like ourselves that that are still building, um, you know, that that aren't going to be at the top of the standings, uh, I think it allows for teams like us to be more competitive and create even more parity in this league, which I think is is phenomenal for the league. Um, you know, the, 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 I don't want to say instant rivalry, but the increased intensity in a back-to-back game, the carryover from one game to the, to the next, there's a lot of factors, I think, that lend itself to having a more competitive environment. So what I've seen firsthand, um, I, I think it's great. It, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of U.S. college hockey. That's kind of the right. college format in a number of the divisions where it's not as uh, geographically convenient to – to, to travel to more than one city, um, you know, they play back-to-back games. So I, I think there's a lot of positives to it. Um, I think it's worth exploring, uh, you know, on the ticket sales and the business side of the equation to see if it makes sense to, to have this be a, a more permanent format because I, I really like it personally. Yeah, you know, I, I actually like it too. And I think probably a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, with being a baseball fan. I, I mean, I'm kind of used to series uh, and uh, just not playoff series, but I mean, you know, seeing teams come in uh, and play like uh, two, three, four games sometimes even. So uh, I actually kind of like it. I like the division. I'm glad that the Red Wings are playing uh, uh, Chicago a little bit more than twice a year. Nashville was a longtime rival too. And of course, uh, the connection with Jimmy Dill and, and Dallas, it's always, uh, it's always nice to have the Red Wings and Stars hook up. Um, you mentioned a couple of players, Giovanni Smith being one that is getting an opportunity. I'm a big fan of Giovanni. One player that we haven't mentioned, and I want to ask you about a couple of players and a, a couple of prospects here. And then, uh, Ryan, I've taken up way too much of your time. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. But it does appear that Philip Zadina... Um, it has begun to arrive. And when I say that, 
he just looks physically stronger. I, re I remember him in Dallas meeting him for the first time. He was a skinny 18-year-old kid, and now and he's not much older. But, you know, he's, he, he's grown into his body. I mean, he's, as, he's tough to get off the puck. He goes in and he wins the battles. Plus, he has a great shot. So I, I would assume that maybe at one time Red Wing fans were holding their breath about Sedina. I think he's starting to show why he was the number six pick overall. Yeah, and I guess I, I'm remiss a little bit for not mentioning his name when I was talking specifically <laughs> about right. the, the improvement to the team. And he's one of those guys that uh, I think has, has uh, you know, been one of the key pieces of, of that improvement up front. Um, you, you know, if you, if you look at Phillips' maturation over the last couple of years and the time that he spent down in Grand Rapids and, you know, playing basically the almost the full season down there in 18-19 and then last year, um, you know, quote unquote, graduating to the NHL after he started, uh, after he started the year down there, I, I think then, um, you know, the pause could have been um, a setback. It could, it could have been detrimental to to his development. But to to his credit, to our player development staff's credit, um, you know, he went over to the Czech Republic and and he played games. You know, they were one of the few leagues that um, at least initially tried to play right away through um, through the COVID situation, and they did have some pauses eventually, and he ended up playing, you know, a little bit under 20 games over there, but um, a lot of practice time, a lot of training time, which I think was really good for him, and, and I think that helped uh, springboard him in, in terms of where he is in, well, when we started the year over here uh, in, in early January. So, to, you know, a credit to him. He did get stronger. He got a little bit quicker. Um, he's getting, you know, a, a little more time and space on on the ice to make plays. And I now I think you're seeing the the hockey sense and and the puck skills come out. So uh, I agree with you. I, he's been one of those players that has been uh, part of the uh, the success of that group up front of the improvement of that group up front. I I'll tell you, I've always liked Phil. Uh, just as a person, and I, I did a podcast with him where he was back home in the Czech Republic, and uh, I asked him how eager he was for the, uh, uh, the uh, for the Red Wings season to get started or for the NHL to get started because you know he he was playing pretty well. Then he had that uh, that uh, that that foot injury, uh, and, and then it looked like he was on the verge to come back, and then unfortunately the season was paused. And he and he said to me, he wishes he was in Detroit yesterday. And, uh, and I, I felt like, you know, and so I know that that kid really, really wants it and he will do whatever it takes to, to be successful for the Red Wings. And so, I mean, obviously they all feel that way. They're professional athletes, but it's just good to hear, uh, you know, from, uh, from Philip, because I do know that, uh, you know, I hear it all the time from fans that, well, Jesus, is this guy ever going to make it? And I think that, yes, this guy is going to make it. So. That's, yeah, guess, he's a really, you know, to your point, Art, I just want to point out that, uh, yeah, this is, I think this is my fifth, my 15th year, but in, in all the times being around players down in the minor leagues, um, he's, he's one of the few that um, really took what the coaches said. And um, I, I mean, there's never, there was never an excuse with him. It was always, okay, the coach is right. How does the coach see it? Uh, I got to figure out how to change my game because the coach is trying to help me. What he's telling me is going to help me. And, and that's not always the case, especially right. with high, uh, high draft picks. They've had so much success to that point 
Um, not that they think they have all the answers, but oftentimes they think they know better. And sometimes it takes players a little while to figure it out if they do figure it out. And he was one that I, I was really pleasantly, uh, it was just nice to see right away he bought into, the, okay, the coach sees something that's going to help make me a better player. Uh, I'm listening and I'm going to buy in and do whatever it takes to get better at that. And, and um, you know, credit to Ben Simon and his group as well right. as, as our player. That's a reflection on our player development group. I think Danny um, and Sean Horkoff did a really good job with, with Philip uh, in particular and showing him those things. And he did a great job of listening. Yeah, he he really did. I mean, I, I you know I'm, I'm I'm in love with his shot. I just think that you no know, sooner is it on his stick, it's on the net. It's hard. It's accurate. And uh, uh, you know, certainly, uh, I think the future does look very bright for him, which means the future looks bright for the Red Wings. I want to ask you about a couple of more prospects here, Ryan, as we as we begin to wrap it up. Uh, uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, Mo Sider. Uh, I. <laughs> I had Steve Eiserman on the Word on Woodward show, uh, and I asked him, I said, Steve, what more does this guy have to do, you know, before he becomes a Red Wing? And, you know, he kind of laughed at it, but uh, he's hurt right now, I know, Mo Sider, but obviously, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but for Rogel, I believe in the in the, in the the Swedish uh, Swedish League, I mean, he is again tearing it up. I mean, every place you put him, Ryan, and he's been all over the world, it seems like, lately to play hockey, Mo Sider looks like he's the real deal. Yeah, Rogla is how I pronounce it. It's okay. almost like a GLA at the end of it for us okay. uh, North Americans. So, uh, yeah, and, and again, um, you, know, you know, Mo was another one um, that was looking forward to playing uh, over in Germany initially, and credit to our player development group, uh, getting him over there, getting him, obviously he, he went back to, to play in his home country and, and was all set to start playing. And then when they had their pause uh, and it looked like they were gonna be delayed for a while, um, you know, really good opportunity presented itself to go over to the Swedish Elite League and play. We weren't sure, um, uh, you know, whether Germany was gonna play again anytime soon. So he committed to going for the whole year as was a, a league rule over there, unless you were a Swedish national or returning to, um, your Swedish club, you, you had to commit to play for the whole year. So Joe Valeno and uh, Mo Sider are both over there for the entire season. And, and he's had a terrific year over there. Um, you know, he plays a lot of minutes. He plays in every situation. Um, he, he's getting better by the week. He's been, he's had a real good physical presence in the games that he's played. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he, he's got an injury right now. Uh, I don't think he's going to be out uh, a whole lot longer um, it's not a serious injury, so hopefully he'll be back soon and, and be able to take that team on, on a little bit of a run. They've got one of the better teams in the league, so hopefully he gets in to play some playoff games because and, and, I think that's uh, an important part of development. I, I, another prospect who's playing in Sweden, and unfortunately it sounds like he is not on a great team, uh, is Joe Valeno with Malmo, although Joe has really, really come on and it uh, looks like that uh, – He's beginning to establish himself. Yeah, you know, and, and unfortunately for Joe, uh, the team is not doing great. But individually, I think Joe's having a, a really good year um, because of the improvement that he's shown. You know, the big ice can be tough to get around for someone that's not an elite skater. So I, I think to Joe's credit, I mean, Joe put in a ton of work in the offseason. Uh, he's put on muscle. He's gotten a lot stronger. 
Um, and I think it's shown, uh, you know, I haven't seen him play live, but we've all watched him a bunch on video. Uh, our Swedish scouts have seen him play live, but I've seen him on video and his skating's improved. He's added another step. So, you know, for, for what we wanted um, to, you know, in terms of development for Joe to accomplish over there, uh, you know, I think he's, he's certainly doing that. And, you know, Unfortunately, the team is not great, but fortunately for us, that means he may be back in, in North America sooner and be able to finish out the year um, in the American League or the NHL, if appropriate. Uh, I, uh, I, I, another player, and I know I'm going by really, really quickly here. I want to get as many players as possible, but he's healthy now. And when he was drafted, I remember when he was drafted the same class as Valeno, and if Valeno wasn't there at 30... Um, he was going to be, at, and I think he eventually went at like 34 or 33 or something, but that's Jonathan Berggren, who obviously has really upped his game because he simply is healthy and showing what he has. Yeah, well, that's part of it. You know, uh, that's obviously a big part of it uh, was that, uh, you know, he was out injured. He, he had so many, he had several injury issues over the last couple of years, Um so good for him. Um, you know, this is the most hockey he's played in the season. You know, last year he played uh, about half the year. The year before that, it was about a quarter or less. So um, good for him. He, he's having a really good year. He's one of the leading scorers uh, in the Elite League. Um, you know, we're, we're really excited about him and, and you know, hopefully get uh, we'll have the ability to get him over to North America next year and, and he'll be in a spot to compete for, for a job in Detroit. Yeah, I, I think that that's that that is the thing that's really uh, I, I think really good about him or encouraging about him is is that when he comes here next year, uh, he does have a legitimate shot at, at being a Red Wing, and you know you root for a guy like that who's had you know a little bit of injuries here, but uh, hopefully you know knock on wood as I'm banging on my head here, he'll be able to uh, 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 you know stay healthy and and continue. Uh, an ascent up the chain here. Uh, another player who would have been on Swedish uh, Sweden's junior team, but had a COVID. I don't know if it was him or his team that he played for, or something happened. But that was uh, William uh, Wallander, who, by all accounts, uh, seems to be uh, gifted offensively and can skate like the wind. I know I talked to him after the Red Wings drafted him in the second round this year. Uh, but uh, you know, he seems like he could be. Uh, a, a very, very good player in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure what happened with the with the Swedish World Junior Camp and, um, you know, where the, the COVID protocols got certain players and didn't get others. But just to, to have the opportunity um, as an 18-year-old to, to try out for that team and be a part of that team and kind of be on the, the map uh, is great. It's good for him. I have never seen him play live. I've watched him on video a couple times since we drafted him, and I think your assessment uh, is right on. You know, he's a decent size, good-sized defender, moves well. Um, he's, he's got an offensive dimension to his game. So, uh, you know, I know our scouts really liked him um, at early in the second round. Um, you know, we're really fortunate to get him there. So I know Chris and his group are really excited about him. Yeah, a kid who's now playing for the University of Denver uh, was, I, I believe, the defenseman in his league last year uh, uh, back in Europe, uh, Ante uh, Tumisto, uh, you know, right-handed shooting defenseman, uh, 20 years old. Uh, again, this is a kid that uh, really, since he's been drafted, has only seemed to be getting better. 
Yeah, Ante, uh, yeah, I saw Ante play over in Finland before we drafted him, and, and unfortunately the Finnish Junior League is not quite you know what the USHL would be and and he was in a little bit of a of a you know a kind of a tweener situation I'll say where he he needed one more year before he was going to enroll in Denver and he wasn't sure whether playing another year in the junior league was going to benefit him the most um and, and actually at one time contemplated maybe turning pro uh and playing in Finland professionally, you know, we're glad that uh, he ended up at Denver because I think uh, it's a great environment for him to be in, um, not as a slower developing player, but maybe as one that might take a little more time. Like he's put on a lot of weight since we drafted him. He's gotten stronger. Um, and, you know, defensemen, as you know, Art, take, mm-hmm. take a little while longer to get there. But to see the development that he's had since he came to our first development camp a couple years ago till now, um, and playing at a great program like Denver uh, is, is really, it's really great to see. So um, we're really high on him. We really like him, you know, really good size. He's a two-way defender. Um, he, he's got some physicality to his game. He's got a little bit of offense to his game. He's kind of a guy that does a little bit of everything. Um, and so we're really excited. Uh, kind of the hard luck player. Every time I, I turn around and read about him, he's He's coming back from an injury and then unfortunately getting hurt again uh, is Jared McIsaac, who was going to also play uh, in Sweden this year, had to come back and uh, and have, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, if I'm going off the top of my head here, but uh, uh, shoulder surgery uh, on the opposite shoulder. I don't know if it, this one's the left one and, and it was the right one he had first, but, you know, 20 years old, left-handed shooting defenseman. How is his rehab coming will he be able to play perhaps for grand rapids later this year perhaps by the end of the year yeah that's that's our goal is uh that he's going to see some action by the end of the year he was actually supposed to play in finland he did he was playing um he was on his first shift of the of the game so unfortunately um you know, he, he didn't he didn't get much of a development opportunity over there, and he he has had some bad luck the last couple of years with injuries. But hopefully, that's behind him, uh, and and he's in a good spot. Um, you, you know, he's down in Grand Rapids every day. He's working uh, with our physical therapists and our rehab people down there. So, uh, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully the American League is able to execute the the season. Uh, like we're expecting and, and there's games left when he's healthy and he's able to play. And if we are able to play playoffs, you know, hopefully he's, he's able to participate in that as well. Yeah. A couple of other players. And then I promise Ryan, I'll let you go. I, I you know, Ryan's going to ask for a fee here. If, if I don't shut up soon. Uh, uh, and, and Alex Cotton was drafted as an overager because he, he kind of blossomed offensively scored 20, uh, tw- 20 goals is, is he more a sleeper candidate or a guy that could be a real find? Well, I know our Western scouts liked him, and you know some guys are just uh, you know a, a little late to develop. He's he's a guy that had um, you know he played he only played five games um, a, as an underage, and so the first time he, he's eligible for the draft, playing in a league like the Western League, um, you know a lot of times those players don't stand out compared to their peer group. They're just still kind of adjusting and developing, mm-hmm. coming over from like a tier two league. He only had 11 points in, in 54 games. So in his draft year, he goes out and he gets 67 points in, in 63 games. Uh, you know, he's six foot three. He's got good size. So, you know, it's just sometimes it takes those players a little bit 
longer um, or they're a little slower to develop when they get into that league, um, you know, I'll say late when they don't play a lot as an underage uh, before their draft year. So I know our Western scouts like him. I haven't seen much of him play. You know, they've been on a pause this year out in the Western right. League and, and haven't played. You know, he plays a, for a team in Alberta, which um, will hopefully be rejoining uh, or going into a like a bubble environment. You know, I know he's played a couple games in, in the Alberta Junior League for a team near his town. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're excited to watch his development. You know, he's certainly a guy that our, our scouts uh, like. Uh, a, a guy that uh, a player that Chris Draper describes as a hockey player, which is a good thing. Uh, Robert Master Simone. Uh, also, uh, he could have made Team USA. I know you're familiar with him that way, but I think he also had, or his team had, some sort of uh, uh, COVID issue as well. So he uh, had to leave Team USA camp. But uh, uh, Master Simone playing at BU, not the biggest guy, but uh, you know, it's a cliche, but. He has a, a great hockey sense and a, hot, a heart as as big as Massachusetts or something. Yeah, he's uh, you know he never made it to our camp. Unfortunately, he got um, he, he got clipped by contact tracing mm-hmm. when uh, they had a COVID outbreak at the the school and and we lost uh, three of the BU players, Vlasic and Camesso and uh, Master Simone uh, were not able to attend the camp, unfortunately for him, um, because he was in a really good position to, to have a chance to make the team. And, you know, I think he brings an ingredient to the game that uh, was, um, would have served our team well. You know, it's kind of how we played with that bottom six group. So, you know, really like his hockey sense, his compete level uh, is good. You know, they've been in and out of a pause at BU. They've only right. played, I think, seven or eight games this year um, or thereabouts, you know, hopefully they're up playing again soon. And, and, you know, it's not a, it's not a lost year in terms of his development because he's at one of the, he's in one of those situations where it's a little bit tougher just because they haven't played many games, but hopefully they can figure it out between now and the end of the season. All right, Ryan, just two more players. And then I, I promise I'll say goodbye. Uh, Otto Kevamaki, uh, who was, I think known for the vicious hit that he suffered last year, uh, blow to the head, but uh, uh, he's a very, very intriguing player. Has a lot of offensive upside. Yeah, I, uh, Otto. Um, you know, Otto does have a lot of offensive upside. Upside. He's got really good puck skills, really good hockey sense. Um, you know, Otto's got to continue to get stronger, get quicker. Um, you know, work on getting to some of the traffic areas. You know, where they, you know, where they score goals in the NHL. It's not the same in some of the European leagues. And you know, Otto. Needs to just work on some of his consistency issues, but certainly the the hockey sense and the puck skills, um, he checks those boxes. And you know he's a guy. You know, there's a reason that um, we've got rights to these European players for for four years, and some of them, you know, because of the leagues they play in, or just they take a little bit longer to develop. So we're just continuing to watch him and, and monitoring his development. You know, it was really funny because when he was drafted by the Red Wings, I think there was a typo because I think he was listed at like 118 pounds. And uh, I think everybody was joking around going, wow, he must be really good if he's only 118 pounds and the Red Wings are going to take a you know, waste of draft pick on him. But he's maybe not much bigger, but he's certainly uh, heavier than 118 pounds. Well, he is now, but I'm not sure that was a typo at the time. <laughs> he, he was pretty small, uh, but he's a, you know, he's a really smart hockey player with gifted hands and, 
Um, you know, he's not he's not afraid by any means. He does go to those traffic areas at, at times. It's just he prefers to play a, a certain way and kind of as a playmaker from the outside, he's just got to, you know, figure out how to balance that out. And I, uh, the last player I want to talk to you about, I know we talked about the goaltending. Uh, Jonathan Bernier is injured right now, but obviously Bernier uh, since uh, – uh, December of 2019 has been one of the best goalies in the NHL as statistically has kept the Red Wings arguably, not even arguably, their MVP last season. Thomas Grice has been a really, really nice addition. Uh, very familiar with his work with the Islanders, yet goaltending does seem to be an issue as we look towards the future. Finally, maybe when he was drafted third overall, I believe in 2017, Keith Petrozelli, who had played for Muskegon in USHL at that time, uh, I remember being in, uh, I guess it was Chicago, and, and everyone saying, well, this could be the Red Wings' really best player. I mean, if you look at it, who really has the, the, the biggest upside as far as NHL. Did not work out the first couple of years at Quinnipiac. Uh, last year, he started to put it together. Uh, he's a senior this year, and it really looks like Keith Petrozelli is now beginning to blossom into a goaltender that I guess the whole organization expected. Uh, your assessment of where Keith and his game is at right now? Well, I, I think you summed it up well. I think he's beginning to blossom um, into the goalie that, that we expected. And, and for some players, it, it takes longer. It's hard for, for goalies, especially when they go to school as true freshmen. I mean, there's a reason the USHL has a lot of, uh, you know, 19 and 20-year-old players playing in it because it's a great pre-college development ground. So Keith did go to school as, as a true freshman, um, played behind some really good goalies, uh, you know, like Short Ridge to name one. And, and you know, sometimes there, he's got to wait his turn and, and earn his opportunity to be a starter. And in some cases, uh, when players get that opportunity, they grab it sooner um, right before their senior year. And Keith was not able to do that. I think there was some maturing off the ice and, and physical development that needed to happen. And so to Keith's credit, um, you know, he's in a pretty good spot and, and he seems to have figured out uh, what he needs to do to, to, uh, to have some success at that level. And, and now I'm not entirely familiar with uh, exactly what the NCAA is allowing for, for extra years, but I think I'm under the impression a lot of these players are going to be in a position to, to have another year of eligibility. It'll be interesting to see if, if he's in that position to, uh, to go back and play another year or, or if he's ready to turn pro to turn pro after this year. You know, you, you brought up something interesting, and I'm glad you kind of brought it up. If, if they are granted another year of eligibility, does that give the Red Wings another year to sign? And most college players, you have four years, but if like a, a case would be Jack Adams, who had to sit out a year medical redshirt. I, I, I'm just kind of curious. Does that mean that uh, Petrozelli, because it would have been four years whenever the draft is that you drafted him, that because he has an extra year of eligibility, you'll get another year to sign him, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, the league hasn't decided that yet, um, and I don't know that they, they will. I'm just, you know, I'm just assuming, you know, but in some cases when your rights vis-a-vis um, -vis the NHL expire on a player, uh, it's not necessarily linked to whether he's got more NCAA eligibility. Okay. Like the, the NHL doesn't necessarily care about that. So uh, it's possible that you know that he may have that option to to be free after that. Um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how how that goes. Can't you make him care 
Ryan? I mean, it would benefit the Red Wings. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we've got another goalie that's playing really well. Carter Gielander right, at, at right. Colgate's been playing right. really well. He was just player of the week, uh, I think this week or last week. I don't know when that release was. So um, he's been very good this year to start. So that's exciting. Right. Well, his numbers were phenomenal. But, uh, you know, I guess he was playing, as it was explained to me, a glorified high school league in British Columbia. But, I mean, but he... I mean, his numbers were phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. And every level he's gone up, he has been a phenomenal goaltender. Yeah, I, I actually I had him penciled in there too, but I thought I, I took up too much of your time. We'd have to wait on Carter there, but uh, certainly good. Um, you know, the Red Wings uh, in the last four drafts have had uh, 44 uh, – in 26 rounds have had 44 picks. Uh, in this coming draft, uh, the 2021 draft, they'll have six picks in the first three rounds. Uh, so it, it, is it fair to say that, uh, you know, there's a lot of kicks at the can here that the organization are taking, uh, the, that the retooling, rebuild, whatever you want to call it, is in full bloom, yet there certainly does seem to be a replenishing of the stock right now. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. When you, and when you, you, know, you see players like you know, Michael Rasmussen in the American League and, and hopefully about to, 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 uh, to take the next step to get to the NHL and, and Gustav Lindstrom and, and Dennis Chalowski and then you know, Joe Valeno should be there, but he's in Europe. And, and Mo Sider, uh, if he wasn't on Detroit, he would be there, but ready to take the next step to, to get to the NHL. And then we're talking about Bergeron coming over next year and you know, you're talking about Lucas Raymond coming in to try to make Detroit next year or play uh, in the American League if he needs some time uh, at that level. So certainly, um, you know, c turning pro those types of players over the last two or three years or next year, uh, that's really exciting. You know, it's, it's hopefully the good, um, the, the beginning of a good core group of young players that, that are going to help this team have success for, for a number of years. Yeah, certainly. It does look good. It's exciting to see. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've been through rebuilds. I'm old enough to remember rebuilds with the Red Wings, but they're, uh, uh, when, when you see there from, from the ground up to where, where, what it is built into, it's, uh, it, it is a, a fascinating journey to say the least. And, uh, and we're on a journey right now and it's going to turn out very, very well. Ryan Martin, assistant general manager for the Red Wings, general manager of the, uh, Grand Rapids Griffins. Ryan, you always have time for the Red and White Authority. Uh, I appreciate your time. I know I kept you for a long time. There was a lot to talk about, but thank you so much for joining us. And uh, uh, stay safe, be healthy, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Okay, thanks for having me, Art. My pleasure.